I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. Before we start uh, today's podcast, I just want to say thanks to everybody for voting Food About Town for best podcast in the City Newspaper's Best of Poll for the second year in a row. Um, I'm really awed and um, I'm really thankful for everybody that listens to the podcast and goes out and votes for us in the City Newspaper Best of Poll. Um, and I'm really excited. I, I took a couple weeks off here um, as my uh, winter season got started, but um, I'm really excited to bring more episodes to you throughout the winter and coming up through the next year and trying to bring more guests and different topics. So again, thanks for everybody for supporting the Food About Town podcast. And I really appreciate if you can keep on sharing it out, keep on telling your friends so we can get more and more people listening and, you know, really try to keep Food About Town the premier podcast here in the Rochester area. So thanks again. And now on to this week's podcast. In episode 86 of the Food About Town podcast, I talked with Carrie Morabito uh, from Two Foodies, uh, formerly the Wine and Spirits Store, and also the uh, upcoming Two Foodies Cooking. Uh, you can follow them on Facebook. Just search for Two, that's the number Two Foodies. Um, Carrie and I have known each other on and off since they started in the early 2010s doing writing. We started around the same time. So it was great to sit down with her, talk to her about uh, their path. Uh, her and her husband's path through doing writing, opening a liquor store, and uh, the unfortunate closing of that store. Uh, we talked through uh, Thanksgiving wine pairings, uh, talked about specialty coffee because I just can't help myself, and <laughs> I, I thought we just had a really good time. Um, it's one, she's one of those people that I, I'm shocked it took so long to have her over, um, and it, it, it's it's great to you know get to spend a, spend an hour with her talking through talking through wine, talking through tasting, and hope to, he hope to see a lot more from her and Andrew in the future. So uh, follow them on Facebook, and if you enjoy this episode, please share it out. Food About Town on Facebook, at Stromy on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, this is coming out the day before Thanksgiving, so take a listen on your drive out back home, and uh, go to a local store, try and get some local Finger Lakes wines for your Thanksgiving table. Uh, right towards the end, we talk about some great pairings for Thanksgiving meals. So hope you enjoy and see you soon. After a well-deserved break, if I do say so myself, Food About Town Podcast is back, and I'm here with, why don't you introduce yourself, please? Absolutely, Carrie Morabito. So, why do I know you, Carrie? Um, from Two Foodies, and either the Two Foodies Wine and Spirits, or Two Foodies The Blog. Ah, so, yeah, we're, we're going to dive into that, I mean, pretty pretty in-depth, because we, we have some, like, history, we started out around the same time, mm -hmm. but... Um, we start off today 
Kira's nice enough to bring donuts from one of the classic donut places, uh, Donuts Delight, here in Rochester. Between them and Ridge Donuts, they're kind of our bastions of old-school donuts. You know, I've never had Ridge Donut. Hey, really? I never have. I've Interesting. Um, very, I mean, it's, they're, they're kind of the same place in a lot of ways. I mean, they're old school. It's the, you know, the big yeasty puffier donuts, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of interesting that we still have two places that are the old school donut places. And now with the whole hipster donut thing crashing around Rochester, we've got, you know, boxcar and, uh, formerly the rock donut King and, uh, misfit donuts and all these people doing, um, what I, I mean, they're hipster donuts. That's it's just hard to call them anything else. Right, I agree. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's great to see people still going to the classics because they're still delicious. They are, yes. The fritter and the jelly stick; those are my two favorite. Yeah, I mean the the, the classic fritter is it's kind of the it's kind of the go to for any of these places. Um, and I'm going to say, with our fancy new arms, pull your mic a little bit closer to yourself. Okay. I, I know it's a little <laughs> bit weird. I mean the the whole microphone thing. I. It's weird you talk to people, you're like, you have to be right up on it. Like, my nose almost touches this microphone thing, which is just odd if you're not used to it. It's all right. I'm used to, like, the recording studios downtown where they've got the the big fat speakers or the big fat microphones and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. I mean, going going to the different places, whether it's, you know, XXI or wherever, you're like, this is completely different. It is. That's okay. I'll get used to it. All right. We're going to get there. All right. So what we started talking about, we started talking about donuts and we got into coffee. Yes. And the first thing Carrie brings up is where do you buy coffee? Because Absolutely. Because we cannot find a coffee that we are really enjoying at the moment. See, I find that I find it interesting because like right now to me, Rochester is one of the premier premier specialty coffee cities in America, um, especially for our size. Um, we've got a wealth of specialty coffee. And again, this is this is one of these hills that I I I die on. It's I mean specialty coffee or nothing for me. Um, and this morning my wife was nice enough to make some uh Joe Bean coffee, which I don't know if you've been before. I have been to Joe Bean. Okay. Yes. So that's one of those where, for me, that that's that's my standard bearer. That's where I go first. And like today, what she made, Costa Rica. And the nice thing about all the specialty coffee is, since we have a wine connection, which we'll mm-hmm. be talking about, um, they put a lot of tasting notes on all their coffees. That's brilliant. So like this Costa Rica coffee, you know, they put tasting notes on it. Now, some people don't do tasting notes anymore because... And I'm sure you've seen well, the same subjective thing. subjective, and, and so your palate may be different from mine, and so if I buy that expecting one thing and I don't get that. And yeah, and I find coffee tasting very challenging. Um, I think wine tasting can be a little bit easier than coffee. I agree. Well, because with wine, there's a lot more, you're more familiar, I think, with some of the characteristics and the flavors of wine, whereas yeah. coffee, you don't, I mean, but it's the same thing. It's about trying it it's about keep on drinking it and the coffee tasting is one thing that i would love to go and do and do the slurping and the spitting and like and really trying to uh, determine and evaluate what you're getting and how do you get those characteristics i think cupping does help a lot um because it is more direct it's a little more intense than a typical brewed cup and you're really trying that that intense that aeration of the slurp which is one really hard to do right yeah um but like uh, one of the guys that 
Jovina when I've done it with him before. It's like it's amazing how loud he can be with it. Right. But it's he's truly aerating it. And, you know, knowing some of the people over there and, you know, uh, like uh, Wade Reed over at Fifth Frame or uh, Rory Van Groh over at Ugly Duck or Tony, Tony Cologne over at Fuego, all these, all these people are cupping on a regular basis. They really care about their quality levels. And it, it really has that, it's the wine tie-in really, mm-hmm. which I think for a lot of people, turns them off of these places. Right, because of the snobbery type thing and about the, yeah. you know, it's kind of like the same mentality that you get with wine, with wine people who can describe, you know, they're they're kind of that snobby thing and it's really not, but I mean, it's just, it's a passion. It and is. that's where the difference <laughs> is, but, and, and you know, some, some people can get a little carried away, but in general. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's, that's the, the reason I found it interesting that you brought it up is because I, I tie them so closely together mm-hmm. that coffee... I mean, a lot of people will say that it has even more flavor flavor um, compounds than wine does. So it can be even more complicated and more challenging to taste through. Um, so I find the connection really direct that if you have a quality brewed cup of coffee from a place like you know, Fuego or uh, Glen Edith or any of these places that take the time to uh, brew the coffee correctly... But that, I think that's the other challenge, I think. It's you're not just buying a bottle of coffee. Mm-hmm. You're not getting the subtleties by buying a bottle of coffee. Right. You're, you have to do everything. You have to have your temperature right in your water. You have to have good water. You have to have, um, you know, your beans can't be too old. Right. I mean, you're, you, you are creating your cup of coffee rather yeah. than the wine where it's already, the winemaker has already gone through all the painstaking detail about getting all that temperature in the water and all that kind right. of, all those things together. And I think, I think for some people, it can be an intimidating thing because it's not only the stuff from the creator, because you still have the place where it's grown. You still have elevation to think about. So it's like the all terroir. this. terroir. Exactly. Yeah. And it's all the stuff, it's all... The reason why I think you'd really enjoy it mm-hmm. is because of all the tie-ins. Like, if you look at this bag, you've got a region, you've got a country, you've got an you've got an altitude, you've got a specific farm, you have a processing method, and you have a varietal. Those are all like cool, awesome, geeky things. Oh yeah, <laughs> that are amazing, and I'm like got this grin on my face right now. So yeah. So like every one of these specialty coffees you buy, all this information is available to you. Mm-hmm. So now you can know, like, hey, then you figure out, hey, what do I like? Do I like super high altitude coffees? Do I like South American coffees? Do I like African? Do I like, um, you know, Indonesian? I mean, what, what, what do I like in a coffee region? Right, even to then, decide which one to drink. It's like Chardonnay. Do you like yeah. more of the Chardonnay from you know, from France or from California and what is your style and do you like the oak or not oak and the same type of things. And that's the great way to be able to determine. I like, I like that. I did not know that that information was available. Absolutely. But again, it's where do you buy it from? Right. If you're buying it from, if you buy your coffee from Starbucks, you get none of that information or very little. And they also Walmart or Walmart, (laughs) but they're also, they're also not roasting for, the subtleties, right? No, they're just roasting for your average cup of coffee in your in your Cuisinart or Mister Coffee. Exactly, and if we compare to again, we compare to wine. It's like buying the wines that are corrected. Mm-hmm. It's buying wines that are corrected with that with flavors, mm-hmm. with colors to make it consistent. Which and, you know the extra yes. filtration, so it's super consistent. It's super friendly. 
for coffee that comes across as chocolatey, smooth, um, you know, those kind of flavors, dark roasted flavors. That's what most people correct to because if you roast to that level, all the subtleties go away. Yeah. All these things that, you know, we may enjoy in a, in a natural wine or we may enjoy in a, you know, bright, acidic, you know, odd wine. Well, all those things go away when you roast heavy mm-hmm. or most of them. Right, because you're just mutilating all those subtleties. Exactly. Yeah. While most of the you know specialty coffee people are doing lighter roasts and they're tasting it, they're profiling it to pick out specific flavors that they want to optimize. Right. Because if it's a lighter roast, now do you, do you, I mean, because you've done the coffee tasting, mm. do you notice more of those characteristics when it is a light roast compared to a dark roast? Oh yeah, it's okay. it's drastic. Oh yeah, so you can pick out more of those of those subtleties when it's not that heavier yeah. roasting. Yeah. When it's also part of it is it's not one temperature. It's not one thing. Um and I know this is turning into a specialty coffee discussion <laughs> for a little bit, but I find it interesting. That's okay. I mean, it's I've, I love talking about this stuff. It's not like one temperature. It's not like, "Hey, we're roasting to and I again, I have no idea about coffee roasting, so if somebody like Janine is listening, just ignore me. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so it, it, you roast. You, it's not like you're roasting to 200 degrees C or, or whatever. You're not roasting to a temperature. Mm-hmm. Every coffee that these places do, that these specialty coffee places, they have a different profile. So it's not just bring up to a temperature and hold it. It's how do we ramp up? Mm-hmm. How do we do we do we ramp up slow? Do we ramp up fast? Do we hold it at a temperature? Do we just hit a peak and go back down? Yeah. Every one of these coffees is worked on. Yeah, it's an art. Yeah. And I think so fascinating. And I think that's the part that hooks on to me is I love the intricacies. I love the little stuff. I love the attention to detail that you know, hey, it's it's just coffee. Mhm. But it's not just coffee not because just there's coffee. there's so much to it. Right. And well, it's like it's wine. No, it's just more than wine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's yeah. I'm, I'm going to transition off especially coffee because I could talk about it forever. Um, <laughs> but that so I, I I was going to ask that question like yeah. what what brought you into what was the thing that hooked you into wine more than just oh it's wine this is cool it's wine. Well, the the wine that got me hooked on wine in general was actually a Chardonnay. From when I was in California on Coronado Island at the Hotel del Coronado, and it was their house Chardonnay, and it was it was a wine that when I had it, that I actually gave pause to what I was drinking, and it like it really struck an accord with me. It just it was an oaky, buttery, but it was well integrated. It wasn't like eating a butter stick, but you could taste, and it had that brightness and that nice acidity to it, and that was again the wine that just sparked my interest in wine in general and I've been traveling quite a bit you know like my husband and I have traveled a lot and throughout you know throughout our years of being married and prior to that and every time that we would go out to eat it would be around wine and he and I actually kind of looked at each other different across the table over a bottle of wine. Mm. Uh, it was the Domaine Serene, even said Pinot Noir. I can't remember what vintage it was. But again, you know, it's that it's those connections. And so with wine, it's not just about the product that's in the glass, but it's about the experience that you're having around it. And it's the people that you're with or the location and, and everything else that goes around, that goes with it. It's that it's an experience rather than just what's in the glass from my from my perspective. So you find that interesting because I 
I'm I'm almost the opposite. For me, I, I because of the way I come at it, I come at it from a what the hell's going on here situation. And I I like almost like separating it away from everything else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part that challenges me still is hey, we're drinking this thing at a time. I almost forget about if I'm enjoying the rest of everything, I almost just forget about the wine entirely mm-hmm. instead of right. Instead of having that integrated the, exactly, and I mean, I think so. With me, it's it's having those connections with the person <clears throat> that you're drinking it with, mm. and you know, and having those discussions, and when you're doing tasting groups, and just even when we had the store and and tasting with the distributors, and they came in and picking out all those characteristics in order to come up with our tasting notes Mm -hmm. about what did we get out of that wine in order for the consumer to have an idea. Because when you had mentioned about the latitude and the altitude and the location and all those different characteristics, because when you find some characteristics within a wine that you like, like with Chardonnay, if you don't like the oaky buttery, well, then you're looking for keywords or you're looking for vanilla. That's a key that it had oak. You're looking for a butter. You're looking for those other descriptions, even within the winemaking process. With your red wines, if you don't like big tannic wines, then you're looking for smooth or soft, or you're looking for more brambly berry type things rather than like maybe not the cocoa or tobacco. And, and so having those conversations with the person when you have that glass in front of you and what do you get and just developing your repertoire on those words that are describing the wine. Hmm. Yeah, because I, I do like that. I like the discussion of the, the terms back and forth. I like analyzing I mean, it's just the way my mind is. I like analyzing. I like going into all the details. That's the part that makes me intrigued. Yes. I like sitting with somebody and just being nerdy about something. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what it is. I don't care. <laughs> it could be coffee. It could be wine. It could be anything. It can be food. Yeah. It can be anything. Yeah. It's just it's it's something to go into a crazy amount of detail about because I, I want to care. I want to know. I want and I think that's the thing that intimidated me about wine the most is that there's so much information out there mm-hmm. and that it's hard it's hard to be a casual expert in wine. Yes. Yes. Well, and you also you always have to try to keep on developing it. Yeah. You know, and it's I mean, it is like a bicycle that once you, you know, like if you like stop drinking for a while and then go back to it, you know, you can remember some of the basic fundamentals. But it is really kind of that continual practice and that continual speaking about it, which I found that, um, you know, now that I haven't had the store for a while and, and talking to people casually, I'm like, oh, wait, wait, what? And, you know, Chardonnay from France is where, you know, <laughs> and, you know, you forget some of those some of those terms and some of those regions and locations and et cetera. Yeah, because there's it's almost an infinite amount of different regions and all these, you know, each country has all the different regions and subregions and, you know, crews and grand crews. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just. I, I, I want to know. That's the problem. It's like, like I want to know, but I just want to drink. <laughs> I'm exasperated because I need to know in my head, mm-hmm. but I know I don't have time to know it all. Right. right. I mean, that's why. I mean, that's why there are so few master sommeliers. Oh, it's amazing. You know, there are certified sommeliers, and it's not that. I mean, trust me, they have still an amazing, ridiculous amount of information in their heads. But and when it comes to the master psalms, even the master psalms don't know everything. Oh yeah. Well, I'm going to bring up uh, just just for publicity's sake, uh, my friend uh, Stacy Rowe uh, wrote an uh, article in Five Eight Five Magazine, the current issue. Is that the Five Eight Five Wine? Yes, the Five Eight Five Wine, which was is really nice. Um, she interviewed a number of the local Somalier groups, 
uh, people from the local sommelier group. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, we actually have a really active, really active sommelier groups here in, a, in a, the Rochester area, mm-hmm. which is great. And people really trying to improve themselves. We have a number of level two certified sommeliers all around town, yes. all around Monroe County. So it's, it's a kind of thing now you can go to a lot of places and get a well-educated wine person to help you on your journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I got started learning about uh, cocktails. I mean, it, they weren't certified people, but people who were, you know, craft, craft bartenders. Yes. That's who taught me about spirits. Right. Well, they're in it. They're living it. They're doing it every day. And so yeah. that's where that comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, my first education was, you know, sitting at the Revelry Bar and having Sarah Ikes teach me about different gins and teach yeah. me about different spirits. I'm like, I, I learned a ton because somebody took the time and was nice enough to... Nice enough to teach me about that stuff. Yeah, well, and I think, too, when you find the people, whether it's the craft cocktail, you know, people, if it's the sommeliers, whether it's the coffee experts, they have the passion. And when you're passionate about it, you want to tell everybody. You know, it's not just, I mean, and so when you get into those conversations with somebody who's really interested, it's kind of like, oh, you really care. And, you know, when we had, you know, at the customer service center and people would come up and we would do the tastings with them and, you know, you had your people that just wanted to try for the sake of just trying because they wanted wine. But then you had people that were really interested and you would share with them the details and they, you know, like, I know that I keep on throwing out Chardonnay there, but we'd have people, you know, like, I don't like Chardonnay. And, you know, I'd be doing some tasting and I would throw something in their glass and they're like, what is that? I'm like, I'm not telling you. And then they would try it. And, oh, that's really good. They're, what is it? Chardonnay. But it's because I gave them a <laughs> French Chardonnay that was in stainless rather than oak. And yeah. because, and, and that's the thing. And then they're like intrigued and then they want to know more. And then that's where that growth and that, you know, curve of learning just like explodes. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I, I find that a very interesting, um, very interesting kickoff point because it's you can be bright and light, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those big green apple notes, you yes. know, all that that yeah. sharpness. But most people, you know, in, here in America, we're buying California. Right. We're buying California. We're buying big. We're buying 14, 15 percent. We're buying, um, you know, big, thick, rich. And it's that's technique. Right. It's not a grape, it's technique. And that's Correct. that's the fascinating part about all these things is everything has technique. Everything mm-hmm. has process. Everything has a reason why it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I find it interesting that Chardonnay is like the thing that got you into this. I know. It, yeah, I mean, and with, with so with oaky, buttery Chardonnay, you know, that's what I started with. And then there was a period of about maybe six years where I would like, it's not that I wouldn't touch them. And when a distributor came, you know, for the evaluation of one, I could still determine whether it was an appropriate representation of that grape and that mm. style, even if I didn't care for it. And that's the one thing. So not only do you have all your little technical things about trying to describe the wine, but then maybe it's not a wine that you care for personally, but you you don't have to. But for me, I had to be able to determine if it was specific, if it was varietally appropriate. Yeah, I, I that's one of those things that I think people have a lot of trouble with is separating do I like this from is it made properly? 
Right. Absolutely. I mean, and if it's not well balanced, I mean, if it's too acidic, if it's too tannic, if it's too sweet, if it's, you know, too high in alcohol, those are the things that, you know, can throw off the wine. And, but then it's identifying, okay, I don't care for this wine. Is it because I don't like this varietal? Is it because I don't like the style? Is it because I don't, because it has something that's off balance? Right. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I found in when I was doing, you know, restaurant reviewing, I found kind of challenging sometimes is I don't like this. Now, thankfully I like most things mm-hmm. but um like if i'm tasting beer i don't like belgian yeast that much uh-huh. i don't find it that i don't find it delicious um but i know there's a whole genre of beer mm-hmm. that is that is almost lost to me because i don't like that kind of yeast i don't like the flavors it brings out right and i i think it's kind of interesting that you know if 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 i was to be a little bit more serious i should be able to taste is this good was this made properly versus I don't enjoy it. I don't mm-hmm. care. Right. Like, it's just not for me. Like, I had, um, um, again, a brewery I really enjoy, uh, Paradox Brewery up in, uh, up in the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at a tap takeover for them at Joe Bean the other day, and uh, they had a, you know, a barrel-aged Saison there. And actually, I liked it more than most. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was well-made. I thought it was tasty. Would I ever choose it over another kind of beer? No, right. I wouldn't. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It's no asper- casting no aspersions on them. No, it's as just a brewery. your palate. Yeah, and it's just something I don't enjoy that yeah. much. Um, and I think it's the same thing with food. Like I, I was never, I never ordered fish. Mm-hmm. I. It's not to say I don't enjoy it, mm-hmm. but I would never enjoy it more than ordering even the vegetable dish. Mm-hmm. Um. But when, like, if uh, my wife wants to make it, sure, I'd, you know, I'll be happy to eat her. If we, she's ordering a restaurant, we're order, only ordering one main dish. Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to eat it. Yes. Or if she wants to go to a concert. So this is a, <laughs> right. a great example. <laughs> yeah. Concert, I have no interest in, interest in going to. But you know what? If, if she wants to go and she has no one else to go with, I always tell take your friends instead. Please. <laughs> please, please. Contact one of your friends. Go. Yeah. But if you don't have anybody else to go with, and you want to go? I'm happily going to go, mm-hmm. and I'm going to I'm going to enjoy it as best I can. Yep. But I think it's the same thing with all these things: trying different things. Oh, absolutely. Yes, just trying it. We're trying to with our five year old. <laughs> trying to like, just take a bite. I know that it looks weird on the plate, but just try it. It's really good. Yeah, it's a green bean. <laughs> these are challenging <laughs> things. Yeah, exactly. You say, how is that process? I mean, it's got to be kind of. I mean, from somebody who has an adventurous palate. Yes. Somebody who tries. Everything. Everything, yeah. How how is that? Do you, is it is it uh, is your kid challenging when it comes to food, or um, is it just the whole process? No, well, you know, so we have a seven year old and an almost five year old. Okay. She'll be five in a couple of weeks, and you know, of course, with any kid, I think they go through that stage where, like, my daughter like likes just pasta and pasta with butter and cheese, and like yep. that, or cheese quesadillas. I mean, she's a carbohydrate and dairy cheese girl. I mean, that's what <laughs> she would eat every single day. Um, you know, so we're trying to get her especially like just try a bite. If you don't like it, that's fine, but we want you to try things. Um, so she's she's getting there. She kind of ebbs and flows. Now, our seven-year-old, we went out to dinner last night, and he had baked mussels marinara. Oh, And wow. that's what he chose. And that's for great. his birthday dinner, he chose the seafood, fra, um, and not the fra diablo because that's the spicy one, but the, you know, the, the seafood pasta dish. Yeah. And that's what he likes. And he likes duck and he likes lobster. We went up to Maine a couple of, um, about a month and a half ago or so. And 
the six-year-old, the five-year-old, and the seven-year-old all sat there with their own lobsters because we went and visited their cousin. So, you know, they all had their own lobster and they were just in their glory and they yeah. love it. And, you know, so Alex is definitely the more adventuresome eater. I can't even remember what I was eating the other day, but he's like, wow, that smells really good. Can I try it? And I'm like, absolutely. So he will try things. And the best thing, though, about both of them is about their palate with being, not palate, but about their olfactory and being able to detect wine yeah. and characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a wine that we had our daughter smell, and she's like, it smells like roses and tar, which was perfectly <laughs> appropriate for that varietal. And wow. it was hysterical, and we hadn't said anything yet. We just wanted her to smell it and see, and she got oh, yeah. tar and roses, and that was perfectly varietally appropriate. That's amazing. It is awesome. Well, I think it's also, we forget that, Part of the reason, again, I'm, again, I have no kids, but I think we forget that kids are kind of like, you know, the super tasters in our lives. Absolutely. That their palate is super sensitive. Mm-hmm. Well, they also don't have those mental blocks that we as adults can get about, yeah. oh, I don't know. I don't really know if I get that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to look like I'm an idiot. You know, I mean, it's like, that's, if you ever like do any tasting with me, I will say exactly what I, what I think. And some, it's funny to watch some of the Psalms around me like, okay, I don't get that. But it's okay if you do. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we did a we did a podcast with uh, two of the uh, certified sommeliers from uh, Farmers Creekside Tavern Inn in Leroy, mm-hmm. and um, they came over, and um, my wife Carrie sat in for a little bit, and she has the most creative tasting notes that I've from anybody I ever talked to about this stuff. Mm-hmm. She has these connections that develop in her head. Yeah. She has an artistic brain. Yes, and the connections she derives are so different and unique. And every time she says, I'm like, you know what? That sounds ridiculous. And then I think about it for a second. You're like, God damn it. She isn't right. (laughs) But it's the kind of thing I, it would never come to my mind to think of it from that angle. Oh, exactly. I don't know if you were ever at cure when Caitlin Graham was the manager and Caitlin had done the tasting notes, but they weren't, tasting notes about like the care the fruits and mm. those things it was like okay there's a woman and she gets on a moped and she's like you know and it's like dusty and it's like she created this imagery about the wine that just made it so sexy and so enticing and appealing and just you know there and then depending on your mood of course because right. that's the other reason like when i go out and have a glass of wine yes i think about the food and wine pairing but sometimes i just think about my mood you know i think about what wine i want to have if i want one of those you know, my, my go-to is more red than white, but if I want, do I want a really big, thick, you know, kind of like cozy red? Do I want something brighter? Like, how do I want that? So when you read these tasting notes that are descriptive about other things and emotions, that's the really cool thing too, to tie that in. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard for me. Cause like, I, I, don't, have, I, don't, I don't have emotions. <laughs> I always say, that, I mean, perhaps a bit apocryphally. I mean, I'm like, I don't have emotions. The wife has all those. Um, but you know, it's it, it's it's one of those things. Like, I love that. I love somebody trying to describe things a different way. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lack of that creativity sometimes, and I think people get stuck in a rut of, hey, the distributor says it tastes like this, this, and this. This is what we're putting on the menu. Right. And there there's so much more to it, and sometimes you can. There sometimes the story is worth telling. Sometimes the story is something that's going to get somebody hooked. Absolutely. Um, and again, I'm going to bring up Farmers Creekside. I just saw recently they put on a, a Mount Etna wine on their by yeah. the glass list. Awesome. And one, I've had it. It's delicious. Um, 
but it's because you know Drew Shapit has a he has a passion for it. He loves that wine. Yeah, it's interesting. It's unique, but it's not crazy adventurous. Right. But it's something that something that he can tell a great story about. Because I mean, what's a better story than Mount Etna? Yes. I mean, there's there's a story to tell there. It's dramatic. It's volcanoes. It's yeah. all this stuff distilled down into a glass where, one, the wine's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, you can make it, it's so dramatic all at the same time, yes. which can be kind of fascinating. Well, and that I, I think that's why, too, you have to look at the person that you're speaking with in order to recommend or describe a wine. And so on the menu, one of the things we were trying to do at the end was to change our tasting notes to have not only the technical detail specifications, but kind of that story and that illustrative description. Because knowing that there are different styles, you're more analytical, you are dissection, etc. I am expressive. I am like the big fancy peacock that walks into the room. And, you know, and it's like, <laughs> and so I like that. I like, and that's the stories. And, you know, so hand selling is where you get people hooked on it and about that story. And it's like, you know, when you've got the wines that, you know, are non no, not fine and not filtered or explaining to somebody why a wine is vegan. Well, it's grapes isn't all, you know, aren't all wines vegan and just getting into <laughs> those, those conversations and then making people really excited about what they're drinking. Yeah. So I think we're going to take a quick break and I wasn't expecting to go half an hour without talking about anything that you've done. Um, So we're going to take a break and come back and talk about kind of how you guys got started in the writing and the store and the whole story about what happened there with um, what I think was one of the more unique wine stores here in the Rochester area. And I kind of want to hear about the process and the unfortunate, uh, unfortunate closing of the store. So take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey everyone, I'm going to take this break to tell everyone to go out and support your local businesses on Small Business Saturday and throughout the holiday season. Go out and visit your local food and drink purveyors, uh, whether it's places like Leaf Tea Bar, Joe Bean Coffee, uh, any any of our local specialty coffee places, our local wineries, and you know all of our local restaurants. Go out and support local businesses throughout the holiday season. Grab gift cards, grab coffee, grab wine. Grab all the things that you need for your holiday season, but buy local. There's a lot of great local businesses that need our support and a lot of amazing products as well. So don't forget about our local businesses throughout the holiday season and especially on Small Business Saturday. It shows everybody uh, that we, we all care about buying local. So go out, support the local businesses. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to this episode with Carrie Morabito from Two Foodies. And we're back. So, um, so I'm here with uh, Carrie Mortobito, uh from Two Foodies. Yes. And what I'd like to do is kind of go through the timeline of how you got started with writing, because we kind of started writing around the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if it's exactly the same time, or you guys started slightly before I did, but we were in it about the same time in the early 2010s. Yes. I don't remember the exact times or anything. It's yeah. hard to remember at this point. I think it was point. August, but I don't don't ask why. I yeah, we, we were in the early <laughs> 2010s-ish when we both kind of started. Um, so you talked about getting into wine, but what brought you to actually writing uh, you and uh, you and your husband? Why am I forgetting his Andrew. name? Andrew. Yeah, that's fine. I know. Um, <laughs> it's, sometimes I, it's weird. I know people's names, yeah. 
but there's too many people. Right. Well, it's Drew. So Drew Carey. Oh. All right. And he hates it when I say that. Oh, but it's it terrible. really helps people to remember. Oh, and, that's great. You know, he's Andrew, but familiar and like friends, it's Drew. So yeah. it's Drew Carey. Oh, God. Yeah, there that's you go. Great. So now you'll great never forget it. I know. Great and terrible. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, how do you how do you decide to go into the writing side of things? And I remember when you guys first started, you were really capturing these meals out where you're enjoying wine, where yes. you're where you're going out and kind of just kind of going through that whole thing we talked about in the first half of the mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah. So Andrew and I, with two foodies, we our original tagline was "We eat, we cook, we drink," mm-hmm. and the reason that it was in that order was because. We would always go out to like, we love going out to eat. And even me as a child, every Friday, my parents and I used to go out to dinner. So I'm very accustomed to eating out and being around food and Andrew growing up in the Italian household and being around the kitchen. So, you know, so we eat. That's the very first thing we do. And then Andrew with his passion and love about cooking. So then we would go home and then he would almost always have to try to recreate what we just had. <laughs> like, you know, if it was one of those exceptional meals, mm-hmm. he's like, okay, I have to try to make this. So then we would go home and he would cook. And then the drink part is because of our, of my passion for the wine. So he's the, the chef and I'm the wannabe sommelier. <laughs> then, you know, then we would try to go though and, and try to find the wine that would go with that. So that's what it originally started about the two foodies. And with the writing aspect of it, I was originally an English literature major. And because of my expressive nature and I just, my love for English, I just, I love writing and I love describing. And I've learned about myself that I love telling people how much I know. (laughs) (laughs) You you and me both. There you go. So, you know, that's, you know, and I try not to do it in a pretentious manner. However, I do like speaking. And so it's challenging. It's challenging. (laughs) It is. I gotta say, it's one of those things, it's one of those things though, that it's, I think it's one of those skills that you need to develop because if you are, if you do happen to know stuff, Mm -hmm. you have to be able to communicate it without, without being an annoying an annoying prick about the whole Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Well, and I think by identifying the fact that you do like to talk and that you know that, once you identify that about yourself, then you can actually be like, oh, okay, so I need to rein that in a little <laughs> bit <laughs> and maybe occasionally let other people speak. So, yeah. Or you or you make a studio in your or, house and or, you, or you talk for an hour exactly. to time. Exactly, and then you do podcasts. <laughs> um, so, you know, so Andrew and I, so when, when there was a writing thing, so we're like, okay, well, let's kind of document what we're eating and what we're drinking and where we're going and what we're doing because we're not the only people on the face of the planet that love to eat and drink. Of course not. You know, and so we would start writing. And so we did a blog. So we actually had like a, a Two Foodies blog page. I can't remember. It was um, through WordPress. Yeah. You know, so we had that. And then we did the Facebook thing. And we had the Facebook page Two Foodies long before we had the store. Mm-hmm. And so then we had to morph that. Um, you know, and so yes, this how, was before Instagram people. I know it was. Because nowadays, I mean, it would have obviously been on Instagram. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, where, it's where it would have been, but this was before Instagram, people. Yeah, but you know, the thing with Instagram, I mean, it's obviously wonderful and beautiful, and you can take the photos and all that kind of stuff, but you know, it's not the descriptive, it's not the illustrative. Yeah. So depending on what your media is. So Andrew also is a photographer. I mean, he's not obviously a professional, but the, sure. he also is a great photographer. So then what we did... You know, when we still had the hearing aid company before, when then when that was advanced, we had the hearing aid company and we were doing all these, the writing. So we were doing like kind of restaurant critiquing also. Mm. And so we would go and we would go to the restaurant and Andrew would take the photos and I would write the descriptions and the food and talk about 
and just talk about it to try to promote that to people. And so that's, we did that for a while. And then when we sold the hearing aid company and we're like, all right, what do we do? You know, we love food. We love wine. We thought about a restaurant because Andrew just really would love to have done that. I would have definitely been front of the house. He would have been obviously in the kitchen, but we have the five and seven year old. So Mm -hmm. we just knew, and plus restaurants are even more doomed to fail than liquor stores. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we just didn't want to go there. We wanted something to be a little bit more secure, if you will. Yeah. So that's why then we looked at opening a liquor store with a focus on the food and about the interaction between food and wine. Yeah, I mean, which one I think makes a lot of sense. I mean, and I think you're right. It's it's interesting. You don't see as much rotation in liquor stores as you do in anything else. Correct. So I that's you know, was first first thought. I'm like, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Yes. Um, so let's let's talk about the let's talk about the food aspect mm-hmm. of this of the of the store. Yes. Um, the space yes. that the food had was fantastic. It was like a whole test kitchen area almost. Like a pre- presentation kitchen, yeah, you know, really pretty, um, but accessible for everybody. Lots of cooking area, easy to demo. Yeah, um, talk about what that, what that, what the intent was behind that whole thing, mm-hmm. and how that was going to integrate with the whole store. Absolutely. So with two foodies, wine and spirits in the back in the education event space, that's what we called it. Yeah, it was a place to be able to have tastings, whether it was formal wine education tastings, whether it was the food and wine pairings, um, and that was for the purpose of then selling more wine. You know because. Wine is meant to be a condiment. It's not that you can't have a glass of it. And as Americans, that's more of what we tend to do is just kind of consume the wine for the sake of consumption rather than the pairing idea. Mm. Um, You know, over in Europe and predominantly Italy and Spain, I say predominantly those two because those are the two regions that I've traveled to the most. You know, wine is always present on the table, but it's meant to be a condiment to be served with the food. And so we wanted to kind of showcase that and to teach people more about that and about the pairings and that when you have this exceptional glass of wine and then you have this food that goes along with it about how it can change and how it can just, you know, just totally morph the wine into something just exceptional or maybe sometimes not so much. And then it's explaining to people why. And it's that educational component, which is why we have that in the back. Yeah. So, um, I, I re- one, I really liked the store, for Thank one. You. I thought it was, the selection of wine was interesting. I thought the cooking area was well-made. I thought the whole store made sense. Mm-hmm. I thought the location made sense. Mm-hmm. Although it's... So did we. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, off the, it's, off, it's off the main road, but you're right on, you're right on Ridge yeah. in a very busy area where you can access it after work. Yeah. Talk about some of the challenges for running an independent independent liquor store, one in that area, two in the context of Rochester and regulations that sort of put you in difficult positions. Yeah, so challenges kind of started early on. We had hired a lawyer, the Tracy Jong Law Firm, to they specialize in liquor licenses and restaurants. So the very okay. kind of very specific with what their focus is. And so we hired her um, about a year before we opened to be able to run the concept by her to talk about the legalities to make sure that what we wanted to do was going to be able to fly. Um, we knew early on that you could not charge for the for the educational classes. So um, what, what's what's the deal with that? It's passed. 
It's it's now it it's is now s- it is now in yes Governor Cuomo did sign it into law so now liquor stores can charge for educational classes for basically the food part of this whole for thing for anything so you know you can't charge for the wine you can't charge for the food but what you're charging for is the education which makes sense because you know like Jeannie was our you know was our sommelier on staff and right. you know so we still have a payroll I mean she still you know has spends hours and hours and hours on making the presentations and working on the pairings and doing all of that that gets up to the class. So, and you couldn't charge for the education, which is for me, it's kind of ridiculous that it just became a thing that you couldn't, I mean, for all that, for all the information, Mm -hmm. for all the time and effort that goes into that, you couldn't have charged for it. No. And you know, it's so ABC law was last rectified in like the 70s, like after prohibition, when education was probably not even on their radar. It wasn't even something that they thought about. So that's why the law is so, you know, archaic is because it just hasn't been modified. Like, you know, again, we can sell wine glasses, but you couldn't sell liquor glasses. You could sell books on the education of wine, but not books on the education of liquor. Really? You couldn't sell a book about whiskey? Correct. That's kind of that's yeah, and I can sell wine ugh. stoppers, but I can't sell a decanter. So you can't sell something to open up your wine to enjoy it, but you can sell items to prevent the oxidation. Really? Yeah. So, and again, I think it has. I'm not. I'm certainly not. You know, standing up for nor defending the ABC law, but <laughs> it, it just has to do with when it was written and the fact yeah. that it hasn't been modified and the fact that people have not been proactive in trying to change it. I mean, I went to Albany twice yeah i was gonna say three times but it was twice to actually go and lobby for the passing of the bill that was finally signed into law and thanks to senator roebuck and peter lawrence assemblyman lawrence they were the two that kind of really fought for it to get through the house and the assembly it passed the house on um, i'm sorry the assembly on monday and senator roebuck i believe in his group got it to pass like on that wednesday the day before the session was going to close wow so i mean it was awesome i mean and it was a great great experience um you know if from working with the assembly group and new york state liquor store association like they were just phenomenal to work with but you know going back to in the beginning like we knew we couldn't charge per se um we had worked with tracy and the new york state liquor um liquor association so the actual lawmakers about the fact that there were no rules or regulations on wine clubs so in the beginning we had started off where we were going to have for a wine club and you'd have like four different tiers and you would have a you know a, a paid membership and with each one of those different tiers you got different perks you got different percentages off so if you were the tier four um you know the highest level for example then you know, you would get more percentage off your purchases. You would also then get a wine, you know, a wine glass and an aerator and a tasting wheel. And, you know, so there were a whole bunch of things you could do. We also, we were still going to have obviously the classes like for the public, but then they were also going to be able to attend specified classes. So again, we talked to our lawyer, lawyer talked to the state. The state said there are no regulations. Well, somebody in Rochester didn't like that and blew us into the New York State Liquor Authority and we got a letter within the first week saying we had to stop doing that. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's it's frustrating. You know, we hired a lawyer. We paid her money. The New York State Liquor Store said, okay, initially, but then they said, no, well, because there were classes that were tied into it, then we were charging for classes. Mm. So, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's interpretation is nine-tenths of the law. <laughs> so, you know. Unfortunately. <laughs> so, just trying to, so that was obviously one hurdle, one roadblock. 
Um, and, you know, New- Rochester is very competitive, whether it's liquor stores or hearing aids or otherwise. Um, from my personal experience, Rochester and Buffalo don't usually tend to play nice in the sandbox together. Yeah. Um, they're very competitive, and which is very unfortunate because if you think <clears> about <throat> the population of the area and the number of liquor stores, I mean, liquor authority won't give another store if there's not room to be able, if there's not enough population. Yeah. There are more than enough liquor stores to be able to go around for you to go <clears> and get something. I mean, our, I mean, I would refer all the time to like our two closest stores, which are Four Seasons and Liquor Box, because I didn't carry what the person came in for. And so I would play nice because why? I don't have that product. I'm not going to compete. Sometimes I would maybe try to sell you on a different product if I had something that was comparable. But if that's what you wanted, if you wanted, you know, your menage a trois and I didn't have that, well, then I would send you down the road to somebody else. I mean, there's no reason why you can't cross refer and be part of a of a better of a better thing yeah and it's it's it was interesting because i thought i thought the store fit in this in this niche where it's you're not you weren't one of the big boys Mm -hmm. you weren't tied in with wegmans no you weren't huge right um but you also weren't a small corner store either right this was kind of the i thought the medium place where you could go with a good selection it was kind of the curated place Mm -hmm. which we don't have a lot of right you're not everything to everybody. No. And I thought I thought that was the interesting position you were in. Mm-hmm. But then, like you said, some people are coming in, hey, this is, we, we only want this. We only want one thing. Yeah. And you have to go somewhere else. Absolutely. And that's okay. And we know that and we knew that. And that's why we thought <laughs> that with the location, with, you know, like you said, busy, you know, 55,000 cars per day going through that intersection. You know, and with the proximity to 390. So even if you lived in Henrietta or Pittsford or Webster, you could still get there in 20 minutes. Absolutely. You know, and and so it's even though it's obviously out of the way if you live in Pittsford, it wasn't like it was like over in Buffalo. It wasn't like you had to travel an hour and a half in order to, you know, go and and, and work with us, you Mm -hmm. know, to try to figure that out. Um, Yeah, so it just... You know, there were lots of things, you know, hindsight in the end, like everybody's like, so what do you, why do you think? And I'm like, well, if there was like one reason why we didn't, we probably hopefully would have like fixed it. Yeah, of course. (laughs) I mean, if it was location, you know, we had a lot of people say, well, you should have been over in Pittsburgh. And they're trying to say (laughs) that the reason why that we should have been in Pittsburgh is because of more affluent population. And, you know, and well, I get that. I don't necessarily think that wine enjoyment is due to a specific economic status i mean people you know who are middle income love wine and love to talk about it it doesn't it doesn't exclude nor you know mean that it's just one person well it just it adds you know it's the thing people talk hey you should have been in pittsford well there's challenges in being in pittsford too well then the rent is even higher the rent's higher and you're also near the biggest player in rochester absolutely you're near the biggest biggest most competitive player in Rochester in Wegmans and Century. I mean, yes. that's that's crazy to yeah. be close to them. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know what, It's there's never a right answer to any of these kind of questions. It's not one right answer. No, and you know, and it's... It's it's interesting because I mean there are so many what ifs you know and you know all that and to try to figure out like what you know what's going on like at the end of the closing people would come in who lived in Greece and like I didn't even know about you and it's like the amount of marketing and <laughs> the, you know that we did it's like how could you not have known that we were here <laughs> but but that's you know that's the, it's it's really interesting to know how to market and to know how to put yourself in front of those people. 
you talk about, we spoke about, um, you know, the craft, the craft um, cocktails. Right. We had so many cool craft cocktail, you know, like cool things that you would never have known. And we were trying to get into the bartending guild, like to tell them about our products Mm -hmm. because we had some really cool liquors and liqueurs. Which, I mean, very few people in the community, I think, from the craft cocktail even knew that we had. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a solid... Again, it's it wasn't an exhaustive selection, no. but it was a curated selection mm-hmm. where if I wanted to go in and buy something, I know I could find something I wanted yes. or I was going to be intrigued by. Yeah, um, yeah it's, I, I, it's, it's weird because the first thing that comes to mind is obviously dissection. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's where my mind goes. But, you know, it's when you talk about people coming in at the last minute and saying, oh, my God, this is the first time I've been here. You're like, oh, could I have done more on Facebook? Could I have done more on TV? Could I have done more somewhere else? Mm -hmm. There's all these answers. And again, it's not one answer. It's not one thing. It's not it's 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 just one of those things you find interesting because it hit my it hit my sensibilities. And it's the kind of place I would have wanted to do. Right, right. I mean, you know? and, and, you know, so looking back in hindsight, you know, it was always 2020. And I mean, I do not regret for one minute that we did that. And yeah. I don't regret really anything. And I've learned so much about myself, like even in the last year, because, you know, last year was a struggle. It's not like, you know, it's just like, you know, I mean, like we considered for a while, like, okay, what do we do? Do we keep on going? Like, do we, what do we do? Do when do we close? How do you close? What do you do? Um, and, you know, so for the last, you know, say six months even, there was really, it was really rough. It was really, it was a struggle, lots and tons of stress, which affected our family, which, you know, affected just everything. Of and, course. Um, but I've learned so much about myself. I said I would probably have had to have lived another 20 years before I learned all about myself than I did in those six <laughs> months. Um, and now that the store has been closed, the great thing is, is that we're back to actually being a family again. You know, like the kids see us. You know, well, and <laughs> running a small business. I mean, I grew up in a small business. Mm-hmm. Um, although we were we were family small business, like even as a kid, I worked. Yes. But if I didn't, and it was at a different location, mm-hmm. I mean, my, my dad worked, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. Yeah. Um, all the time. Yes. And I never would have seen him if it wasn't at home, if it wasn't something like that. So I we this is the thing, he was always around. Mm-hmm. But I get that because it never stops. No. Because everything's on you. Yes. And it's one of those things I didn't want mm-hmm. for myself. Right. But I still, I have that thing in the back of my you head. You have that entrepreneurial bone. You have that. I've got that it in the drive, back of my head. Passion. There and, it's like, yes. oh, you know what? That That's a great idea. I'd love to do that. Yeah. yeah. It's that masochistic creative thing <laughs> in the back of your head. Like, you know what? Maybe I'm good enough to do this. Maybe it'd be okay if I did that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that and that's that's the part I find fascinating because you are separated, but because you love it so much, you're like, I have to do it. I have to do this. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and we wouldn't change it. And I said uh, to everybody, like at the closing, wine industry has not seen the last of me in Rochester. Yeah, you know, and I I'll do something at some point. I mean, I definitely want to go on. I have the WSET level two. So I want to go on for the WSAT three, but sure. that requires an exorbitant amount of studying time, which right now I don't have. Um, you know, so I want to do that eventually. And then, but you know, what do I do with that? I'm not quite sure. But I yeah. have some, 
I don't know. I have some things rolling around in my mind and I'm not the entrepreneurial per se. That's Andrew. <laughs> um, but being in businesses and owning businesses, you know, it's really taught me a lot again about myself and what I want to do. Yeah. Well, it's the thing. There's always opportunities. Absolutely. It's whether it's whether it's a side hustle instead of the main hustle, yes. whether it's something else. Yep. There's always an opportunity, and it's something I try to tell people. There's always an opportunity to do something you want to do. Yes. Just matters how much you want it and how much you want to be involved. Yep. Um. So, anyways, uh, I'm going to pivot off of that part. The fun. Yeah. The fun, fun part of store closing. And, <laughs> um, and I want to talk about, since the, I'm going to put this out, uh, I think the day before Thanksgiving. Yes. Um, so if people want to go out and get wines for Thanksgiving, yes. let's talk a little bit, a bit about wine pairing for typical your, Thanksgiving dinners. Absolutely. So one of the main things that you want to consider is a wine with some good acidity to it. And the reason being is that your acid <clears throat> is kind of like your squirt of lemon juice. You know, it, it brightens things up. And with your Thanksgiving dinner, you have so many rich, heavy food. Um, you don't want necessarily your oaky, buttery Chardonnay. Now, I will segue here and say that if you like it, and if that is the wine that you like, just drink what you like. But if you really want to know about food and wine pairings, right. it's typically those those brighter style wines. Um, some classic are your Gewurztraminer. So let's yes. again, let's talk about Gewurztraminer. Yes. So I mean, one, it's a grape that grows in the Finger Wakes um, pretty well. Yep. Um, you can get them in different sweetness levels. Yes. Now, most of the Gewurz demeanor here in the Finger Lakes is not bone dry. Not, I mean, there are definitely some available. Um, I mean, places like Bloomer Creek. Yeah, Red Tail Ridge. Red Tail yeah. Ridge. I mean, it's it's the more boutique places that mm-hmm. make the bone dry Gewurz demeanor, yes. which one I think are fascinating. Yeah. I think you can get some amazing, you know, those floral notes can be really interesting in the context of people forget how herb-driven Thanksgiving food is. Mm-hmm, your stuffings and with all your poultry seasonings. Yeah, I mean, you don't eat sage almost any other time of the year. <laughs> but when you come to Thanksgiving, you're stuffing your, your flavors. You might have more sage than you eat the rest of the year combined yes. on this day. Yep. So sometimes those floral notes in a reverse demeanor might work well with those kind of intense flavors. Absolutely. Yep, those and those herbally type notes because even with gewurz, I mean you don't think about the herbs so much, but then there's those floral and even those fruit and those other underlying tones. Yeah. And again, it's an opportunity to buy local wine. Yes. Um and I'm I'm going to bring up one because I find it's for me it's the universal wine at this point. It Riesling is my universal wine. Yeah, I was just going to go there. So perfect. It's 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 one it's one wine for everybody mm-hmm. because you can get you can get a sweeter wine for people that like it. Yep. You can get a acidic, mineral, brutal wine if you want that, mm-hmm. if that's what you like. Yep. Or you can get the fuller styles that are, you know, the grower-focused styles, places like Forge Cellars. Yes. Um, yep. Places like, um, uh, you know, Nathan Kay from Hickory Hollow. Uh, some of the stuff out of, um, oh, why am I forgetting the name of the place? Uh, out of ravines, yes. Um, some of the age, some of the uh, earlier vintage stuff from ravines. Um, so talk about those, riesling a little bit. Those too. Those nice petrol characteristics. You know, I I love that. But I do too. It's, I know, like people are like petrol, like gasoline. Yep, like that's gasoline. exactly like yep. gasoline. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I mean, riesling definitely, like you said, there was one that we had the North by Northwest was out of Washington that we paired with um, our sausage stuffed mushrooms. 
That sounds amazing. Exactly. So yeah, so sausage stuff, mushrooms and Riesling. And you know, especially when you have that little bit of sweetness, but not too much. But like you said, I mean, if you've got your German Mosul style where you've got that bright slate minerality, again, that sense of terroir where it comes from, um, even New York State. I mean, all the different terroirs that are with the lakes and, you know, Seneca and Cayuga and Cuca and where they source from, um, you know, Sawmill Creek vineyards, you know, they they supply a lot of their grapes for many different wine producers. Yeah, around. and I, I recall having, you know, a couple different bottles from Bellwether. Yes. Um, which one is just an astonishing producer of wines here in the Finger Lakes. They don't, even though they're well-known in New York City, mm-hmm. they don't get enough play here locally. Which is really unfortunate, but that's a whole other conversation about the lack of representation of local wineries in the restaurants. But anyway. Yeah, that's a whole other <laughs> thing. But I mean, I think that's another, they're another interesting producer that one you can get in a few stores, not many. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you happen to want to take a drive out, uh, a great place to grab different Rieslings where you can get you know, light and bright for some people, Mm -hmm. thicker and more complex for others. Um, And I think that's one of the benefits Riesling has. Let's talk about reds for a second. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I know I would edge towards whites. Yes. But a lot of people just... They well, can't get you. It's hard not to love reds with food, right? And you know, and like I mentioned, I'm more of a red wine than a white wine. I mean, if I'm going to pick a glass, it's you know seven out of ten times going <clears> to be more red. Um, so tip, you know, Beaujolais Nouveau just came out last week, and I was I've been hearing about it on podcasts. Yeah. Um, why don't you talk about that's obviously French wine. Yeah. So Beaujolais Nouveau, one interesting thing is, you know, you mentioned earlier about Cruz and Grand Cruz and et cetera. And with Beaujolais and with the region of Beaujolais, if you're going to a, a wine producer in Beaujolais cannot have both a Nouveau and a Grand Cru. Interesting. They cannot legally have both. They can have a standard crew and a Beaujolais Nouveau or a crew and a Grand Cru. But if you have a Grand Cru, you can't have a Beaujolais Nouveau. Interesting. So that's something that the winemaker needs to determine. Um, last year, when we brought in our Nouveaux, we had two. One was your very classic banana, cherry, you know, cherry jolly rancher type characteristics because it uses the yeast that is the the fabricated yeast. So kind of that consistency when we talked about. Uh, we also had one, the um, Lancien, when that one was a natural yeast. And the natural yeast didn't have that banana characteristic. Right. So if you are searching for a Beaujolais Nouveau, you do have your very classic standard Beaujolais Nouveaus with that banana tape, you know, flavor. But you can look and you can search for some of the other ones. And it's so I'm I'm not super familiar, so I'm going to spout off things I've heard. Yes. Um, it's it's a cheaper wine. Uh, typically, yes. Not always, but not tip, always. Typically, if you have like more of the natural yeast, I mean, I think that one was like fifteen, seventeen, like somewhere in that range. Again, I consider that a cheaper right. wine at this point. <laughs> well, it's not the seven ninety nine, but right. But I mean, in the in the very affordable range in yes. the teens, it's a great opportunity to get into natural wines, mm-hmm. um, and also you're getting you're getting a high quality. You can get it from a high quality producer mm-hmm. because it's not aged. Because it's basically my understanding that you know the Beaujolais is. Nouveau is kind of a, it's a fresh wine. It's it's, it's not be, held. It's meant to be consumed young. Now, when we did have a couple of bottles of some of the uh, Beaujolais Nouveau from last year left over, we opened them in February and March and had them in a class and did it a blind and people loved it and we sold the rest of it out because what it was is you didn't have that bottle shock. You right. know, so you didn't get that really, really kind of a you know austere, you know astringent type characteristic initially right out of the glass. Right. Um, but another so Beaujolais Nouveau. 
Beaujolais in general, the grape is Gamay. So if you want New York State, Sheldrake Point, Gamay Noir. Okay. Phenomenal wine. Um, last year's vintage, like, you know, had this like crushed leaf type characteristics and bright cherry. And so same grape, different region, obviously, because it's New York State and, mm-hmm. and again, supporting somewhere local. So that's one option, um, depending again on your preference and your palate. If you like um, a little fuller bodied instead of going towards your Cabernets, et cetera, I would go more towards a Cab Franc. More of that middle of the road, some nice spicy pepperiness to it, but also some bright, fresh and acidity. Yeah, and I think we we did we did keep to a lot of Finger Lakes focus because I know I like pushing local wines. Yes. And um, if you want to read a bit about some of the Cab Francs, uh, I believe uh, Eric Asimov just wrote about it in the New York Times. Yes. Um, a list of some of the Cab Francs around the Finger Lakes that he really enjoyed. Um, and he's the New York Times wine writer. Um, more and more press coming out about Finger Lakes wines, mm-hmm. um, reds, especially, you know, you see a ton about Riesling, but uh, I've seen, you know, Bloomer Creek's Gewürztraminer on lists. Uh, Forge's uh, Riesling Classique was just on, um, I think, Wine Spectator's Top 100 Wines of their list. I saw that, yes. And I think it was number 31 on their list. Yeah. So go out and you know, read a little bit, but go out and try some wines. Yes. Go out and figure out what's going to fit your table, but grab two or three. I mean, you've got, you've got bottles that are easily in the teens, very reasonable, and you know, have something for, for the people at your table that's maybe not what they're always expecting. It's not the big California wines. Try something different, and I think these wines fit the heavier meal of Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. these lighter, brighter, fruit, sometimes fruity, sometimes mineral, these complex, interesting wines. Um, Something something a little bit different for your table. Yes. Um, anyways, I think we're going to stop for today, but love to have you back sometime, Carrie. Absolutely, this was fun. Chris, thank you very much. Um, and where can people keep an eye on what uh, you and Andrew may have coming up in the future? Yeah, so if you are not following us on Facebook already, so Two Foodies Wine and Spirits, the Facebook page is still up. We will be um, transitioning it to Two Foodies Cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, what Andrew is doing, so I'm back in the hearing aid business, and Andrew is now um, a personal chef, if you will, and you know, private chef, so he can come to your home and do a private food and wine pairing dinner. We have a couple coming up here for the holidays the people have hired. Um, he also is going to be guest chefing on a regular basis at Black Button Distillery. Which is a great idea. Exactly. So he's um, starting his first, the initial kickoff is on Monday, December fifth the fourth i think it's monday december 4th i don't know it's that first monday so if i'm getting the date wrong excuse me um but it's going to be booze and bites so he's got four bites paired with four different cocktail like mini cocktails um he's going to be a seasonal kitchen on wednesday thursday november 30th um i don't know if there's any seats left for that but you can follow us on facebook and see what he's up to that's fantastic yes Uh, thanks for coming over carrie it was a blast and i'm shocked it's taken this long (laughs) But you know what? Here we are, and we'll talk more coming up. All right. Thank you. Thanks.